0: Maybe he just wanted to talk But I walked away Saw a kid on the TV He was only 17 Wrapped his truck round an old tree The whole town prayed I should go to church sometime I should go to church sometime. Easter and Christmas, yeah, I don't ever miss it. I ask for forgiveness, you tell me what I want. But I need a revival for this prodigal disciple wipe the dust off my bible more than once or twice a year you have to go to church sometime. maybe walk a little straight lord knows i can do some life to get where i'm going What I
1: You know, I believe this about you, because I believe it about me, is that we all have a story. Uh, we're all on a journey of faith, whether we're followers of Jesus or, or, or maybe we're exploring right now, maybe we're questioning right now, and, and for some, that song that is on the radio, I heard it, you know, a couple of months ago or a couple of weeks ago, actually, I was mowing my yard and I was listening to uh, just Spotify, and it came on, I was like, man, that is some of your story. Some of the people in this room, your story is exactly what that song says, that that you're looking for something, or you were looking for something, and at some point in that journey, you found a place, you found a church, you found the church, the people of God who said, you know what, it's okay that you're struggling, it's okay that you want more than that, and you found a place to come in, you found a place to be welcomed, you found a place that said, hey listen, we're not perfect either. But as we journey together, we believe God can do something through Jesus in our lives. And so whether you're a person who that was your story, who, you know, you came to a point, and you said, I want more than this. And you said, I've got to go to church. Or maybe you were invited to come to church. Or maybe you grew up in church your whole life, but you realize there's something more going on than just simply showing up in a place on a Sunday. See, the reason why that song resonates with me so much is because that is exactly why we need to be the church God is calling us to be. Because when I, as a kid, needed a place to go to hear about Jesus, I found a church that welcomed me. When you came to River Club Church, and this is kind of where you are, you found a place to welcome you. And we want to be that place for all people, that no matter where their background. No matter where they are in their journey of faith, no matter their questions, no matter their their habits, their hurts, their hang-ups, all that kind of stuff, we want to be that church. We have to be that church. Because if somebody hadn't been that church for you, you wouldn't be here today. If somebody hadn't been that church for me, I wouldn't be here today. And so as a church, we're so excited about the series we're in because it comes down to the core of what it means for God to be here with us. What it means for for, for, for God to, to be leading our church. And so we're in this series, if you're new, where we're talking about our purpose as a church, the, the, the big picture vision of what we want to accomplish, what we're striving to go after. And we say it like this. We say that we want to be a church where all people can experience life in Jesus. Let's say that together because you know, some of you guys were up way too late watching the fight last night, right? And you're kind of tired right now. I know. Okay, I was doing the same thing. I just get to, like, talk the whole time, so I'm not going to be as sleepy as you are. But let's do this, a little interaction today, to wake us up, right? Because this is important. I want this to be something that we don't just, you know, see on a wall or a worship guy, but it's kind of the heart of who we are. So let's say this together, that we want to be a church where all people can experience life in Jesus. Say it again. We want to be a church where all people can experience life in Jesus. That we want to be a church that no matter where you are or where you're coming from, when you walk through those doors, you find a welcome place. You find people that welcome you because even though you're not perfect, we recognize we're not perfect either. But we believe that what God's doing in us and what God wants to do in you is something that when we come together, God can do significant things. And we want to experience life. We want to be about real truth that meets real life. and We want to pull those two things together and say, this is what Jesus said when he said you can have a full life. You can find hope. You can find peace. You can find freedom from whatever you're going through. And we believe that happens when we find it solely in Jesus. And so listen, if you're a first-time guest this morning, I'm so glad you're here. I'm Zach, by the way, I'm the pastor. So glad you're, you're here as a part of this time. If you are maybe been here for a little while, this isn't quite your church yet, well, it's an exciting time for you, too, because we're talking about the core of who we are. But if you're a River Club person, it's just as vital that you're here because— This is who we believe God leading us to be. And so throughout this series called Getting Back to Church, we've been talking about what does it mean to get back to church? Because if you want to grow up spiritually, it takes more than just showing up physically. We've been talking about that. That God wants us to partner with what he wants to do in our life so he can do incredibly better, incredibly larger things. But we have a part to play in that. And so we've talked about over the past several weeks and are in this series, we're talking about what at River Club we call the five things the five commitments that we want to challenge every single person to make because we believe in our experiences that as we have made these commitments, that we have made these choices in our life, God has used these things to help us grow spiritually, to help us understand more about Jesus, to help us you know, understand more of what faith can really do for our life. And so we've been walking through these. So the first week we said this is the choice we're going to make. We're going to worship God together and apart. We're going to come in settings like this. We're going to gather. We're going to worship together. But we're going to worship wherever we go because that's the true heart of worship. A heart of worship says, God, my life is yours. God, whatever you have for me, I want to do it no matter whether I'm at church, I'm at work, I'm on the ball field, I'm at school. Wherever I am, I want to live for you. The second week we said we want to choose to serve on a team. We believe that God made each and every one of you to make a difference. That there's something God has given you, something God has done in your life. And he wants to use that to make a difference, to serve others. And we want you to serve on a team, whether it's serving here in our church, serving in our community, or serving all across the world. Third thing, last week we looked at this, is that we believe we're better together, and we want you to connect to a group. We want you to connect to a smaller group of people outside of a large setting like this, because that's where real life happens, and that's where real spiritual growth can happen. This setting is important, but it's only going to get us so far. God has something more for us. And so we talked last week about connecting to a group. And as you heard in the announcements, you know, listen, we want to have a group for every person. But if we don't have a group for you, it's probably because God's wanting you to start a group. Listen, if you're looking for, you know, I want I want a group of Dallas Cowboy fans that meet on Thursday night from seven forty five to eight fifteen. And you're like, that that's my group. Some of you are kinda of like, that group's appealing. Some of you guys are kinda of like, I would never go to that group, right? Anyway. But we don't have that group. So if you're like, well, but that's the group I'm looking for. You need to start that group. You're like, I can't start a group. I don't know all the answers. I'm not a theologian. I'm not a pastor. Listen, when Jesus picked the people he was going to use to be the ones to move the church forward, he picked uneducated, illiterate fishermen who didn't really know much about religion. Most of them. And over three years, when he left them in charge, they weren't a whole lot better than they were when they began. But he said, you know what? I want to choose real people to do real things. And so that's what it means to start a group. It doesn't mean you're perfect. None of us are perfect. But you might be called to start that. Today we're going to look at this. We're going to look at the, the fifth one. We're going to kind of flip-flop five and four. So next week we're going to talk about committing to the mission. But today what I want to talk to you about is, is, is one of these five things that I believe is so important. And it's this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Is that we choose to invite others to experience life in Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done in us, we believe that he's calling us to also share with other people what he wants to do for them. And we see this call in, in our lives in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Jesus says, this is what I want you to do. To every follower of Jesus, here's what he says. Go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. So he says that we are called to go wherever we go and to tell other people about the significant difference Jesus has made in us and that he can make in them. That we're called to go. We're called to invite other people to experience life in Jesus. We're called to share a news of hope and joy and freedom and purpose. That's what we're called to do. and It's who we're called to be. Now, if you, if you grew up in church like I did, like you've heard that before. And if you're a part of a church, I would, I would venture to say this, that you believe that that is important. You believe it's important that we tell other people about Jesus. But the tension comes is that, in this, that that we believe that, but for so many of us, we don't really do much about it. I was, came across a study that, that LifeWay, which is this big Christian organization of the Southern Baptist Convention, you know, they, they do all this kind of stuff, write curriculum, do all these different things, and they did this study, and here's what they found. That 80% of those who attend church one or more times a month believe they have a personal responsibility to share their faith. So 80% of us, we like, okay, I know I should share my faith. But only 61% have not told another person about how to become a Christian in the past six months. So we believe this, but we don't always do it. I believe it. But in my personal life, I don't always do it. Well, why don't we share? Why don't we invite other people to experience life in Jesus? I think the main reason is fear. It's fear of rejection fear of maybe the the, the insecurity we have of, of our knowledge? You know, what if we're asked a question that, that, that we don't know the answer to? You know, what if somebody says, okay, you, you say you believe in Jesus. Well, I read this in the Bible. Explain that to me. And, you, you, and we're afraid that we're going to get a question that we can't answer. And so we don't say anything. Or, or maybe it's not that, but maybe it's that, that we're, just, we're too busy. It, it's not a priority. We don't think about it. We're going from here to there, taking kids here to there, doing stuff here to, you know. And it's just like we just forget about the fact that, hey, we're called to actually tell people about Jesus. Invite them to experience what we've experienced if you're a follower of his. You know, for some, it, it comes down to this, is, is that there's a, a, a habit or a, 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 a behavior in your life that you know is not right. And you don't want to say something about your faith because you're afraid that people are going to see that you're not living out your faith and they're going to call you on it. So instead of dealing with that sin, what do we do? We just don't tell people we're followers of Christ. We kind of keep our faith hidden. For others, and this is more like if you grew up in church, this is kind of the thing we fall into is it's not my gift. Like some people, they have the gift of evangelism, sharing the good news. But what we forget to mention and understand is this, is that Jesus said, yes, some people have that gift, but we're all called to do it anyway. And then for others, we don't share because that's what we pay somebody else to do. It's the pastor's job, right? Well, I give money to the church so the pastor can go tell everybody about Jesus. But the problem is that the one pastor can't tell everybody about Jesus because he doesn't know the people you know. The staff, they don't know the people you know. So we, we, we know this, but we struggle to do it. And I think maybe the reason we struggle to do it is because we've overcomplicated what it means to invite people to experience life in Jesus. See, th- th- we use that word invite on purpose. Because an invitation is a powerful thing. And we know that because you've been invited to certain things where it made you feel great. It made you feel included, but we also have all been not invited to certain things, and we know how it feels to not have that invitation. You know, everybody's at work, and they're talking about, hey, we're all going to go to eat lunch over here, and you're kind of sitting there in the midst of everybody, but you're not invited to go to lunch. How do you feel about that? You don't like it, right? If you get included, it feels great, but if you don't get the invitation, you kind of feel left out. Everybody's going to go to Chili's after work, right? You're standing right there, or you're like on the email chain of the group the group list, and it's like, hey, we're all going, but you don't get that invitation. But invitations are powerful things. And an invitation is something that actually helps people to take a next step to Jesus. I was doing some study this week, and I came across this, this quote uh, by, by this website. And here's what it said. It said that it's all about, talking about invitation, it's all about relationships, isn't it? That's why 47% of America's unchurched is willing to take up a friend's offer to visit a church. On the other hand, only a meager 14 to 18% of the population is open to other outreach efforts like flyers, newspapers, and bulletin boards. Personal invitation is the number one way people come to a church. A personal invitation from somebody else, is the number one most effective way that people take a step toward putting their faith in Jesus. Nothing else comes close. You know, I don't care how good our our website is. I don't care how good our social media is, how good our marketing is. Listen, all of that stuff is important, but the most effective way that we're going to reach our community is through personal invitation. All that other stuff We'll reach maybe the target of people we don't have connection with. And I'm not saying it's not important because it is, but it's not what we have to depend on. There's power in a personal invitation. But once again, we struggle inviting people. And I think it's because we've complicated it. Because we naturally share what's important to us. Write this down. Listen, we share what's significant. That's the truth about you. It's the truth about me if something's significant and important to us, we tell other people about it. You know how I know that? It's because there's over like billions and millions of people on Facebook. And I follow a lot of you on Facebook. And so I get to see all the things that you want to share with everybody because they're significant. Now, I also get to see some of the things that you share with people that are significant, but you just share them anyway. It's a whole different sermon, right? But we share what's significant. When something is meaningful to us, that, you know, our kid does something, or that, that, that picture over the vacation, or, hey, we're celebrating 15 years of marriage, or my parents are celebrating 75 years, whatever it is, right? We share that because it's significant. When something's meaningful to us, we want to tell other people about it. And it starts at a very, very natural, very, very early age. Right, you know, right now, we're potty training our youngest daughter. She's like, she'll be three in October. And... I've never seen somebody more excited to poop than Layla, right? And she'll share that with anybody. We were at the mall last weekend. Random people walking by, they're like, oh, aren't you cute? She's like, I pooped in the potty, right? And they're like, it for you. I did too. You know what I mean? It's was, it was awkward, right? But, you know, like everywhere she's going, she's like, you know, poop on the potty. We got a FaceTime mama in Texas. It's like, hey, I pooped on the potty. Yeah, you know, great. Right? And she's like, I, I mean, I'm, this is significant. I want to share it with people. And then we do the same thing as parents. were like, she pooped on the potty. This is the most incredible thing in the world, right? We share. We naturally do that. But when it comes to our faith, when it comes to Jesus, that invitation to maybe come to church or to come, come to our life group or something like that, it, we, we, we don't. And I think it's because we make it more complicated than it really has to be. And so today what I want to do is I want to share with you a, a story. I want you to you story of Jesus and, and a woman at a well. If you grew up in church, you've been around church, you, you may have heard this story. It's, it's found in John chapter 4. And, 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 and it's a story that, that reveals a pattern that we see all throughout the Bible. And it's this pattern. That when somebody experiences God, when somebody experiences Jesus, when, when he does something in their life, There's this natural response to then go and tell somebody else about it, that they share what is significant about Jesus. There's this natural thing that happens. And so there's a lot we need to understand about this passage before we get to the part that I really want to focus in on today. And so I want to story tell for you the first part of this this passage. So Jesus is traveling with his disciples, and he he stops in a a town called Sicar. And it's a town in a, in, a, in a land in an area known as Samaria. Now, com- some context, the, the Jewish people and the Samaritan people didn't get along. Many of the Jewish people actually looked down upon the Samaritan people. They, you, didn't, you didn't want to talk to them. You actually avoided going through their land because you didn't want to be around him at all. So Jesus, though, is all about breaking these social norms and social paradigms that are really insignificant and aren't godly. And so he finds himself going through this Samaritan area traveling around. So it's about noon, about midday, and he stops at the, the well outside the town. Now, the well was like the, the hub of life. It was the center point of life because life, because water's life. And so often the, the women especially would come in. They would come early in the morning, and they would come, and they would get water for the day. And it was kind of the social time because everybody had to go there. So Jesus, though, isn't there in the morning. He's there in the afternoon, probably about midday. And he stops to rest at the well. His disciples go, and they go and they try to find some food and take care of some other details. And there's a woman who shows up, a Samaritan woman who shows up at the well. So if you know the story, Jesus looks at the woman and he asks her, he says, hey, you know, will you give me a drink? Now, now the woman's taken, taken aback because Jesus is kind of overstepping what was socially acceptable in his day. And she actually calls him out on it. She says, listen, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan, right? We don't, we're not supposed to talk to one another. You're trying to set me up. Like, am I going to get in trouble if I answer you? Like, this is kind of awkward for me because you don't talk to me and I don't talk to you. Like, we don't do that. And then on top of that, you're a man and I'm a woman. And, and culturally, we don't, we don't really communicate outside of our family to one another. But Jesus had something in mind and didn't really care about kind of the social norms that that weren't right in his day and so the woman you know responds to him and and or jesus responds and says listen well listen if you understood the gift that i can give you you'd be asking me for a drink and i'll give you living water the lady looks at him and says you have nothing to draw water how, how are you going to get this living water and so he begins talking to her about this, this idea of, uh, of water that, that, that she can find in her life and that he can give her that means she'll never thirst again. And she's so incredibly thankful for it because the reason she's at the well at a time when nobody else is is because she herself is not really accepted in her town. And so Jesus is like, you're, you're kind of missing the point. And then things get awkward because Jesus says, hey, why don't you go get your husband? And we'll talk some more. The woman looks at Jesus and says, I have no husband. Jesus looks back at her and says, you're right to say you have no husband. In fact, you've had five husbands and the man you're living with isn't your husband. Things get a little awkward around the well, right? <laughs> right? I mean, this is like real life context stuff. And so what does the woman do? Well, she does what any of us do whenever we're kind of put on the spot a little bit and things get uncomfortable. She changes the subject. She says, hey, I see that you're a religious person. My people say we should worship God on this mountain. You know, you say we should worship God on that mountain. Who's right? And Jesus kind of turns it back around and says, listen, a time's coming when the true worshipers don't worry about which mountain they worship God on, but they worship God with their heart. And then here's what, what she says. Jump down with me. I'll look on the screen to verse, verse 25. It says, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ. So this long-awaited Savior, the one that's supposed to come that Jesus was talking about, when he comes, he's going to change everything. It says, I know that the Christ is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. She's like, I, I don't want to debate this anymore. I'm done, right? Like the, the, the Messiah will come. He'll figure it all out. And then Jesus looks at her, and here's what he says. I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So Jesus says, the Messiah you're looking for, the one you're talking about, you're talking to him now. And a lot of times we end the story there. Because there's so much power and significance about what Jesus did in having this conversation with this woman and the the truth that he gave her. I mean, life-changing stuff. But it's what the woman does next that I want to focus the rest of our time on. Because here's what it says, verse 28 through 30. or Actually, yeah, 28 through 30. It says, Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. So what is the woman's reaction? What's her response? What does she do? After having this conversation with Jesus, she immediately goes and shares what was significant. She immediately goes and invites other people to experience what she just experienced. Now, it's not that she just goes and does that, but I think it's it's, it's important to understand how she does it, what she does. So write this down, kind of three things that we we learned from the woman in, in in this context. Here's what she did. Number one was, she went to who she knew. So she went to who she she knew. Look at verse 28. It says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town. What town? The town she was from. Her immediate reaction was to go back to the people that she knew. And then when she goes back to the people that she knew, we see that she tells them what she knew. She, She tells them what she knew. She goes to the people that she knew and she tells them what she knew. And here's what she says. And I love this. She says, and it says to the people, verse 28, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Like she's not even sure what she experienced. She just knows that something's going on and she wants somebody else to experience it too. She's like, I don't know. This guy might be the savior. He might be the son of God. He told me everything that I've ever done. So she goes to who she knew, she tells what she knew, and then she shows them where to go. She says, look at verse 29, come see a man who. She's like, I'm going back, come with me. I want to show you what I just saw. So the woman goes to who she knew, she tells what she knew. And she shows them where to go. And what happened? We'll us look at verse 39 through 42. It says many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. What happened when this lady simply went to who she knew, told him what she knew, and showed him where to go? Many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus. A revival sparked. Uh, A a, a life-changing moment happened in many people because she shared what was significant. This woman who wasn't even sure maybe what exactly she experienced, because she went and told, because she went and shared, many, many people were changed forever. Write this down, because this is, this is so key. That when we share what is significant, significant things can happen for others. Actually, write it down like this, though. Significant things can happen for others when we share what is significant to us. Significant things can happen for others when we share what's significant for us. The woman shared, here's what he did for me. And because of that, Jesus did even more for many other people. See, that's what it means, I believe, for us to go and invite other people to experience life in Jesus. It it really is as simple as taking the next step that says, go to who you know, tell them what you know, and then show them where to go. Like, we don't have to overcomplicate things. We don't have to try to solve every what-if scenario. If God can use this woman who had been divorced five times, who was living with a guy who, who wasn't her husband, who was a social outcast probably because of her her reputation that the religious people wanted nothing to do with her that was looked down upon because of her, her ethnicity if, if she can change an entire village because of what she did if her invitation can change the lives of so many people why can't god use you and me the truth is he can That when you begin to share what's significant to you, God can do significant things in the lives of other people. So how do we step from knowing that to actually doing that? Well, I want to ask you three questions. Three questions that I believe deserve our answers today. Because it can really be as simple as the woman and what she did first question is this who do you know who do you know the woman say, woman went to who she knew okay well who do you know who are those people around you that you're constantly around you know who are the people you work with who are the people in your neighborhood who are the people in your classroom, students? Who are the, who are the people, in, in the kids in your class, teachers? Who are the people who, you know, you play softball with? Or who are the people that you go out and watch UFC stuff with? Like, who are the people you know? Recognize this, that God has placed you where you are because he wants those people to be the people that you focus on first. God has done everything for us, including putting us in the places he wants us to be. And the people that we know are the people who God wants us to go and tell. Look what Acts 17.26 says. It says, God began by making one person. And from him came all the other different people who live everywhere in the world. God decided exactly when and where they must live. Luke is sharing this truth that God has you where he has you for a purpose. God has you in the relational circles he has you in for a purpose. So who do you know? When Jesus sent his disciples out before he went back to be with the father in heaven, right? He says, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says that you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be the ones who share about me. Right? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, where were they when Jesus told them this? They were in Jerusalem. He says, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to invite people to experience life in, in me. And I want you to start where you are. So, who do you know? There, there's a, a blank line on your note sheet for a purpose. Who do you know? Who comes to mind? Write their names down. Don't overthink it, don't overanalyze it. Who do you know? Who do you know who's maybe going through something where you know they need hope right now and they're not finding it and where they're looking? Who do you know who you're you're, you're friends with and you honestly don't don't even know if they know Jesus? Who do you know who's questioning, who's seeking? Who do you know who's kind of antagonistic to faith right now? Once you put a name to this question, it makes it harder to ignore who you know. So number one, who do you know? Number two, what do you know? What do you know? This is where we get so caught up, right? Because we focus more on what we don't know than what we do know. And that fear of getting a question that we don't know the answer to overwhelms us so much that we don't ever say anything to anybody. Because we feel like, well, if I can just get all the answers that I have answered, get all the questions I have answered, and all the possible questions I may be asked, then and only then do I need to start telling people about Jesus. But the problem is, is that's not what we see anywhere in Scripture. And especially in this lady's life. It says that she went to who she knew. She told him what she knew. What did she know? He told me everything about me. Could he be the Messiah? I don't know. You know, it's important to understand what we know. It's important to to understand our faith, to grow in that. But we don't have to know everything before we begin to share with people. Because the most important thing that we can know is what Jesus has done. The most important thing that we know is how Jesus has changed us. How Jesus is changing us. It makes it really hard to argue with somebody when they tell a personal story, right? Because you you have to look at them in the eye and say, oh no, you're lying. And I know very few people who will actually have that conversation. You may be like, Zach, I, I know that person. They're, they sit next door to me at work. And they looked at me and said, you're lying. Your face not real. Okay, they're the exception. Most people, when you say, this is what Jesus has done for me, they'll look at you and they'll go, that's either cool or wow or change the subject. They don't want to talk about it. But they're not going to argue with you because it's hard to argue with somebody's personal experience. And that's what we need to know. Peter says this in 1 Peter 3.15. It says, Quietly trust yourself to Christ, your Lord. And if anybody asks ask you why you believe as you do, be ready to tell him. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Another translation says this. It says, Give a reason for the hope that you have. So who needs to hear what you know? Listen, getting asked a question by somebody about faith and not knowing the answer is not the worst thing that can happen to you to your life i was meeting with a, the with a, with a guy that i meet with and we meet once a week we meet together for about a year and a half and and kind of discipling him encouraging each other and stuff like that and and about a month ago we were meeting and he asked me a question we were sitting across the table at panera and he asked me this question out of the bible and it's kind of one of those questions that comes up sometimes and he asked me that question in my mind i kind of had one of those oh man moments right And I'm like, I think I know the answer to the question. But I'm not 100% certain. And so I had that that choice to make, like we all do in moments like that, of, of saying, well, I just fake it. Because obviously he doesn't know either. Right? Or do I get honest and say, you know what, I'm not sure. I said, you know what, here's what I think. Here's what I understand. But I'm not 100% certain on that. Let's do this. Let's talk about it next week. When I came back in the next week. I had done some work, done some reading, kind of, you know, thought through some things and, and, and was able to share with them what I believed. We met the next week and the following week. Why? Because he didn't care that I didn't know everything. Because that wasn't the most important thing. It's okay to not have every answer to every question about faith. That's why we still have questions. And there's some things that we have to hold in kind of two hands and live in the tension because it's not completely 100% certain. There are some things, and as far as understanding, they're not like on the main things about faith. But there's some questions in kind of like the secondary, like, well, how did that work? That there are really smart people that think this and really smart people that think this. And see, we want to have that question answered. Like, that's like a Western way to think, right? Is we want to know A plus B equals C. But so many times in the Bible, it's actually A plus B equals AB. See, the Jewish people understood this, this kind of thinking that's called dialectical thinking. Where this can be true, and that can be true, and though they may seem to be opposed, they're actually not. And so there are some things, like I believe, you're going you're gonna to know, I kind of believe more this way, believe more that way. But there may not be a solid, here is the one true answer. Now for so many things, there is. The important things. Who is Jesus? What does it mean to be saved? who is God, but there are other things that you're going to differ, and you might not fully know, and that's okay, because as you learn, you need to begin somewhere, and we all can begin with what we do know, and what we know is what Jesus has done for us, so we need to ask the question, okay, well, what, or who do I know? Well, then ask the question, what do I know? And and the blank there isn't super long because what if somebody said to you, I'll give you one sentence to tell me who Jesus is to you. Why Jesus? Could you, in a sentence, tell them what you know? Not answering every question they might have, but just saying, Jesus, for me, is the one that saved me, that gave me life, and and finds hope every single day. That's where you can begin. So who do you know? What do you know? And here's the third one. This is probably the easiest one. Where do you go? Where do you go? The woman said this. She went to who she knew. She told him what she knew. And then she said, here, come with me. The, the easiest way or a one easy way that we can help people take a next step toward experiencing life in Jesus is simply inviting them to go where we go you're in a life group invite that person to come to your life group now some of you are kind of like well no no no, Zach a life group that's that that's my people that's where I that's where I that's you know this is you know my community right we don't want we don't want new people barging in because what if we you know are we going to be honest and all that kind of stuff The problem is, and listen, that's a great thing to have is that community. But the problem is is that when when even our our, our groups become so inward focused, they become inclusive. We miss a great opportunity to invite other people. Now, you've got to be respectful of the other people. But as a group, what if you said, hey, we don't want to be so focused on each other that we forget about the person that's not here yet. Maybe it's like, hey, you know what? Where do you go? Where do I go? I go to 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Come with me. Now I, I go to lunch with these three families. Why don't you come with us? I go to a Bible study during the lunch hour on Tuesdays at our office place. Why don't you come with me? See, showing people where they can find out more about Jesus doesn't just have to rely on you being the one person they get to look to. They can also look to other people. And that invitation is sometimes a great way to take that next step. But but here's what I want to warn you about: is if the only time you invite that person to anything is to invite them to church, that person's not a person to you. That person's a project. See, we've got to recognize that, that people aren't projects. We don't befriend people to simply bring them to church. Now, I'm not saying you can't invite somebody who's never been to your house to come to church, but you got to make sure you're doing it with the right purpose. Because here's what Paul says, 1 Thessalonians 2.8. He says, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel. So Paul says to, to the Thessalonian people, listen, we told you about Jesus. We invited you how to, to experience life in Jesus. But we loved you so much, we didn't just want to tell you about that. He says that we also shared with you our lives as well. So it might mean that your first invitation to that person who is your who isn't to come to church on a Sunday. It's to go to dinner on Friday. Or maybe it's to come to church, but then to also go to lunch. And maybe you actually pay for that. Can that be my tithe? No. Right? Doesn't count that way. Right? But God will bless. No, I'm just kidding. Right? You know. I don't know you figure something out go to you know go to cookout it's five bucks you know what I mean I don't know do something right like don't let obstacles keep you from doing the right thing so who do you know write it down what do you know what about Jesus is what you know how has he significantly changed your life in a way that other people are going to want to hear about. And the third thing is, where do you go? What opportunities are you already involved in where you can invite somebody to come along with you, and because you're inviting them in, then guess what? You can experience life in Jesus. They can see that you're experiencing life in Jesus. They can see your group experiencing life in Jesus. They can see us experiencing life in Jesus, and they become changed because of that. So here's the takeaway. The, the, the commitment for today. It's for us to say, I will invite others to experience life in Jesus. Who do you know? What do you know? Where do you go? I honestly believe it's as simple as that. And I honestly, genuinely genuine believe that no matter who you are, no matter where you are in your journey of faith, God can use you and the significant things he's doing for you as a catalyst to do significant things in the lives of other people. But here's what we got to keep coming back to every single week. What is that significant thing that Jesus has done for me? Because when we lose that passion of how Jesus has saved us, how Jesus has freed us, how Jesus has empowered us, how Jesus has given us hope and and life and, and newness and strength even in the midst of struggle when we lose that then we lose our passion for what we know so as we conclude this morning we want to sing a song and it's not a song about going out and telling other people it's a song about how Jesus and who Jesus is and what he's done for you and me because if we will come back to the significance of that we're more likely to share what's significant to us. Will you pray with me? Father God, we come this morning and we want to thank you. Jesus, I want to thank you because you have changed me. You have saved me. Yeah, you're working in my life. God, I know I've got a lot of stuff and a lot of ground to go to become more and more like you. But I can look back and, God, I can see the ways that you've changed me, the way that you've grown me, the way that you've challenged me, the way that you've encouraged me. And, God, I pray that this morning that we would come back to how significant it is for those of us who do know you that we do. And we're reminded of how incredible a relationship with you really is how worthy you are, how powerful you are, how open to us you are. And that will motivate us, God, to invite others to experience life in Jesus. We give you this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.